Hmm. And sometimes when they're doing like binding affinity studies, they'll say, okay, well, methyltrenolone is, it's, it's neither 5-alpha reduced nor is it aromatizable. So we don't got to worry about it, like it, some of the amount of it being lost elsewhere. Hmm. Whereas you, you throw in testosterone there and like some's going to be aromatized in an intact animal and some of it's going to be um, 5-alpha reduced. It is time again to dig into the science of bodybuilding with Scott Stevenson. Today on Muscle Minds, we're going to discuss the chemistry of anabolic steroids. If you guys are new to our content, then I highly encourage you to hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. We have several bodybuilding podcasts coming out each week. Top minds in our industry and IPB pros that are sharing their thoughts, sharing their ideas, helping to educate you to get better at the sport that we love. Plus, we try to be entertaining along the way. Hope you guys are having a great day. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings on awesome, high-quality third-party tested supplements from a company that hardcore bodybuilders have trusted for over 15 years. Also, we're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for all of our Canadian peeps. As I always say, head over there and pick yourself up some Ephrogen. You should take at least two to three tabs a day for your health. <laughs> yeah, for your health. I don't even know what we're doing today. Scott has yet to tell me. He said it's all about getting huge. Technically, he said get hu getting huge baby. And <laughs> and I've got a bunch of different like steroid molecule uh, pictures here. I don't I don't know where we're going. What are we What are we doing, Scott? Last two weeks ago, you were you were we were talking about ment. Yes. And and I was trying to think of like what, what I knew about ment and. I was trying to discern how that differed from methyltrienolone. So, and ment, of course, is also called trestolone, which is just kind of nifty to have, you know, two different names. So, um, like in that sort of way. So, ment basically, well, we're going to get into this. So, I, I figured, might as well make this sort of an educational step. This is what, what I do. This is, people's like, how do you get so smart? And I just am curious. It's not so much smart because I forget. 99% of what I learned, but I just keep on looking it back up when I forget it because I'm so curious, you know, and maybe a little OCD and I just enjoy the process. So, um, I'm like, I'll go look, look this up and check into this. And I figured this would be a nice time to talk about some things. So cue the first image that I sent. All right. And that was, as it's called pasted graphic one here. Pasted, pasted graphic one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So this, this shows our good old friend, testosterone and what you see there that's the basic cholesterol steroid ring so you see that steroid ring and cholesterol and vitamin d and cortisol and um, progesterone and estrogen and androstenedione dione and androstenedione diol and all the estrogens and et cetera et cetera et cetera and those numbers indicate the numerical um the Sort of the, uh, there's different, two different kind of naming systems. I'm not going to go into organic chem here. People will probably like, you know, start having uh, um, flashbacks and shit. But <laughs> that organic chem is like one of the least favorite uh, subjects for most people in school. But in order to sort of um, 
have some standardization, the carbons, which form the backbone of the steroid molecule, are numbered. So that's what those numbers mean. If you look kind of on the it's like almost smack dab in the middle, mm-hmm. um, you'll see one and a 19 is there. And you just fall around the ring, and they just sort of name numerically. And, you know, I don't, I don't, they, they name those. If you sort of fall around, it goes numerically, and then it kind of jumps across a little bit. But they come up with a standardized naming system. <clears throat> if you Google Trenbolone or Winstrol or what ha- or Stenozolol or what have you, you will see um, the chemical name. Actually, sometimes two versions of those, and they have numbers. Um, so we talk about seventeen alpha alkylated. So if you look on the right up, upper portion of the graphic, there, I see the that's seventeen. That's what happens. Yeah. So. That, that 17 carbon molecule can be beta esterified or alpha alkylated. And they just, this is a generic, this is a picture that I want to spend too much time on because it doesn't tell you which molecules are there. That's the next one. But um, it gives you a nice overview of things. When you change, when you take this basic testosterone or an estrogen molecule, in this case, if you start with testosterone as your backbone, mm-hmm. and you change or modify chemically at those different carbons, oh, good. Well, actually, make it bigger because it'd be easier for people to see on their phone. Okay. Um, my face isn't important right now. It probably detracts from from the presentation. Well, you know what? So, I can keep it. I can keep it. Let me give you a little. Okay. Yeah, there we go. All right. All right. One eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you modify it, those carbons, that's, of course, changes the name of the molecule. And it also, as it turns out, changes the activity in various ways of the molecule in the body. Okay. So, um, if you see the 17 alpha alkylation, like adding a methyl group there, that's how we how we methylate steroids so they can be orally available. Okay. And and go, get get past that first pass phenomenon. So liver has a hard time metabolizing those. They get into the bloodstream um, more readily because liver has a tougher time breaking them down when things go from the GI through the hepatic portal system into the liver. And the liver is sort of a first screen. It's like, okay, if anything toxic is coming through from whatever has been eaten, give me first dibs on that because my job is to detoxify. Yeah. And the alpha alkylation, that's just an example, is where um, that happens. So if you look at, for instance, in the kind of the look to the left on the molecule and you see um, kind of a, on the upper portion of that 19 Yes. There's a line between 9 and 19. So that's the 19th carbon. It comes off the 9 carbon. So the 19th carbon, that's because it's just a single carbon sort of floating out there on its own. That's called a methyl group. Mm. And if you remove that, if you have no methyl group at 19, that becomes a nor molecule, as in kind of neither nor. And... That oh, gives shit. us nor testosterone. Yes. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of cool, huh? Yeah. So that's that's what. Yeah, this is. I mean, you can go around. Well, I do this in my my pharmacology one hundred and one um, talk that I that people really kind of like, um, and you kind of go through the whole thing. I don't know if we we'll want to do all that here today. You could like this is people spend like this is what like like someone like Patrick Arnold. Yeah. You know, this is like his his ballpark. He could he literally has spent probably half his life looking. You know what? And drawing out and like scribbling on cocktail napkins and that sort of thing, this sort of thing, um, because this is where all these you can see there's so many places for different modifications 
that given what we know about huh. various molecules could could lend them um, to having different uh, different biological activities. Okay. So, yeah. like for instance, it says there the very generically removal of C nineteen, so you make this into a nor decreases androgenic activity, increases huh. anabolic activity. So that's that's referring to nandolone. Yeah. But actually, um, interestingly enough, that's not, and this is where, and I mentioned this, I think last time, I mentioned this a few times on this podcast and others too, if you actually look at, at nandrolone itself, um, it's a 19 or, it's 19 or testosterone, it's just testosterone missing that 19 methyl group. Yeah. And it's actually more androgenic, <laughs> but what happens when it gets into the system, unless it's in very large amounts, the typical amounts that someone might use nandolone, let's say it's, what, 400 or 600, some people use a lot more, I know, we'll get there. Um, that is then becomes 5-alpha reduced. So if you look just below the 19, there's the 9, there's the 5 carbon. Yes. So if you reduce that, that means basically removing a hydrogen. We'll look and see how it changes You've got typically with a carbon, you've got um, four bonding, four places where you can have a bond. So um, you've got where you don't see a line there, you've got you're going to have carbons. So like if you look next look on the four carbon there, just next to it, you've got a double bond between the five and the four, and then okay. the four also has a single bond with three. So there's three of those four bonds, and then there's a hydrogen floating around there. Um, so the five is, in this case, can be reduced, adding a hydrogen to it, and it changes that bond. We'll see this when I show you the next, the, um, we go to the next, actually, yeah, we go to the, yeah, we'll go, we'll go, we'll jump a couple down. We'll get to that at the end. But when you five alpha reduce there, so you act on that five carbon, yeah, then you produce dihydronandolone. Actually, there's two hydrogens on there. So dihydro. And then that is less androgenic and more anabolic, which is what nandrolone's known for. Okay. So if you have, for instance, if, if someone were completely lacking in 5-alpha reductase activity, they block that all together, which actually sometimes people do, that makes nandrolone more androgenic because it's nandrolone, it doesn't get 5-alpha reduced to dihydronandrolone. And nandrolone itself, before it's been been changed by the 5-alpha reductase enzyme is very androgenic. It's more androgenic than DHT. Hmm. So here's the problem. For instance, someone's wanting to avoid hair loss and they're using um, finasteride or dutasteride yeah. to inhibit the 5-alpha reductase. Either dutasteride inhibits both of the, um, the two main isoforms there of 5-alpha reductase. What that would normally mean is that you don't get testosterone converting into dihydrotestosterone which is more androgenic. But if you're using DECA, nandrolone or NPP, because it's easier on the hair, mm -hmm. right? Normally it is when you've got normal flux through that enzyme, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to cover both my bases and I'm going to 5-alpha, I'm going to inhibit the 5-alpha reductase, which normally would help because you don't get the DHD. In this case, you don't get the nandrolone converted into DH nandrolone. Yeah. You get have more nandrolone, which is even worse than DHT as far as androgenic actions. Yeah. So you basically you you, you shoot yourself in the foot and you fuck yourself sideways by using a dutasteride or finasteride alongside a nandrolone because you end up with more nandrolone 
and more androgenic activity and more potential for hair loss if you're someone who's who's um, has that propensity for yeah. hair loss. So you can go all the way around. You can see like you know all the things that are written there. Um, alkylation um, at those two one and two bonds. That means just adding a methyl or a, a carb like um, methylated group of acetate, propionate. Those are all alkyl groups basically mm-hmm. carbon carbon strings um and and if you go let's let's just go to the next um we'll go to the next mm-hmm. uh the next downloadable it's just kind of like this guy graphic two i think yeah so you still got that numbering system up there that's actually cholesterol but you still you still have the same numbering systems cholesterol is very similar to testosterone and then what's in the middle is testosterone and what i did there was kind of like duplicated the previous um, uh, figure we we're looking at, and added in the names of some of our good buddies. <laughs> okay. So, like, if you want to have uh, get rid of the methyl group, so there's no methyl group, you've got nortestosterone, you've got nandrolone, and another nortestosterone is trenbolone. Hmm. See that's like right there, smack dab in the middle, that 19 nor. Okay. So sorry, I don't have numbers on the big one. And if you kind of go counterclockwise, you can see when you when you have a double bond um, between one and two, that gives you dianabol and equipoise, for instance. Okay. And dianabol is just methylated equipoise. T-ball has got a double bond there, too. Um, you can attach various things to that carbon, two, And that gives you, for instance, anadrol and superdrol, which are very similar. Um, Winstrol adds a five-carbon group, a pyrazole ring there at the a ring so on the left and that's what you, how you get winstrol um hmm. keep kind of just kind of floating around kind of counterclockwise here you can add hydroxyl group or a chloride group and um like a chloride group gives you turinobol okay yeah so and then there's that uh, i'm at the very bottom there five alpha reduction yeah i'm sort of adding a pro i may have said removing a proton adding a, a proton um and hydrogen same thing. Changes androgenic action. So DHT is more androgenic than TES, but DHN is less andro- androgenic than nandrolone. That's what I just went through. Hmm. So that's why you got to be careful if you're going to use detasteride or finasteride because if you're using nandrolone alongside it, you're going you're gonna to go the wrong direction. You're going to have more of the androgenic. So it's not simply that 5-alpha reduction every single time um, make something more androgenic. In the case of nandrolone, it makes nandrolone less androgenic, changing it into dihydronandrolone. Yeah. So, and then, for instance, keep moving along. There's the methylation. The methyl group is just that that um, carbon with with uh, three or four hydrogens on it. Um, at C7, that gives us ta-da, trestolone, which is also meant, which is methyl nandrolone. Okay. So now we're getting into kind of the cool stuff, which is just like looking at mint, which is what you asked about. Yeah. And this is, this is really kind of fascinating because there's no like hard and fast rules necessarily. There's just general rules. And that's why um, this is sort of so fascinating. So look at the 5-alpha reduction. We've already said that it has different effects depending on whether you're starting with testosterone or nortestosterone, test or nandrolone. One t- five alpha reduction in one case makes it more androgenic, and the other makes it less androgenic. You've got ment, which is 
methyl nandrolone. So it's got uh, it's methylated there. Just a, just one you had one little carbon on it in there, and you've changed nandrolone into ment. Those hmm. are very different. Yeah, and you have experience with ment. I I believe. Yeah, so I yeah. we brought with, it up with yeah. both of them, you know, and, and right. it's interesting that just one little change can create such a different impact with the compound, you know. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what's so co- kind of cool about this. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and there's a, aromatase is actually several steps it goes okay. into the aromatization of something, but um, it, methyl gets gets removed, and you end up with estrogenic compounds, generally speaking. Okay. Um, so aromatization is just, that's a chemical term for what happens to that A-ring. Um, it's basically kind of um, all the carbons kind of share a, a common bond. It's a very kind of cool energetic phenomenon that, that I don't know enough about to really explain it very well, but it's um, it's very, 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 very cool, and it takes several steps in this case to do it. So aromatization is kind of a big deal. Um, and then there's that C-carbon, or the 17-carbon, that's the big one. So that's where if we add an alkyl group that gives oral activity, if we esterify that, like with an esterified compound like testosterone enanthate or nandrolone decanoate, so decanoic acid is a long carbon chain. That's a fatty acid carbon chain. Enanthate is a long carbon chain. It's a fatty acid carbon chain. Yeah. You add that on there, and then you have this, this dangling um, lipophilic, fat-loving carbon chain. It's a fatty acid. Fats like fats, and they don't like water. That basically is a chemical anchor hmm. to anchor an esterified steroid molecule in, in cells or places where there is where there is fat molecules that it would kind of cling to. So it's sort of like, it's like adding fat Velcro to the steroid. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that it, but it's, and, and, but you still got all the flow of the tissues and, you know, the lymph is moving things and you've got some, some rate at which, you know, just like if, imagine if you like put like cover your car with Velcro and then, you know, statu- put a bunch of like fluffy animals on there, you know, and some of them stuck, stuck really well. <laughs> like the long, the yeah. longer the uh, ester length, like decanoate's really long, um, the more sticky it is, the more lipophilic it is. That'd be like a, you know, a sticky, like an animal on your, on your Velcro car that really clings on there really well. And then some wouldn't, you know, would be like generic Velcro that you, you know, you picked up at the gas station or something like doesn't that. Doesn't work as well. Might doesn't fall stick off. as well. Yeah. It's acetate or a propionate or a shorter. Um, okay. um, and so they don't have the lipophilicity and they, they leave the depot where you've injected the steroid molecule more yeah. rapidly. So imagine you, you get on your car and like you do your injection. So you inject like, you know, three different esters. Okay, and it's like you got three different kinds of animals on there on your Velcro car, and you take off down the road. That's just basically what's going to happen. Eventually, those things are going to fly off because the wind. But yeah. some of them are going to stick around longer than others, literally, yeah. and that's going to be a function of the length of those length and the configuration too. That changes a little bit, but mainly the main thing is the length of the carbon chain as to how lipophilic it is and how long it stays stuck with the other lipid-like molecules that are in the bolus of the steroid you, you gave and the carrier molecule you have. Yeah. So this is why carrier molecules matter, you know, whether you've got, like, um, uh, uh, MCT oil in there or whatever else. That's Those have different lipophilic characteristics, and 
So how fast the steroids will leave the depot depends on the size of the depot. So it's a matter of whether you're driving a motorcycle or you're driving a big box truck or what kind of Velcro you used sort of on your truck, which would be what kind of carrier oil you're using. And so the size and the carrier oil both change how fast those lipophilic steroid, esterified steroids leave as well as how good their Velcro is, so to speak. Yeah. which is the length, largely the length of the chain, but also the configuration of the chain, too. Um, so that's why, like, there's a classic study with uh, with using nandrolone, decanoate, and NPP, and they actually, injection site also matters. Mm. So yeah. whether it's the deltoid or the glute, and some of that is, is probably just the, the physical, it's probably blood flow, um, it's how well the size of the muscle can accommodate a big bolus, the bolus size matters and activity in those muscles how how much literally you've got like just physical mechanical squeezing which is going to like it's like driving the car faster or slower okay so um so the size of the muscle matters as well so it's are you driving um in uh um you know in a thunderstorm or like in a tornado where a muscle's really active let's say you're using your delts all the time because you work in a warehouse and you're lifting things up that's probably going to impact the pharmaco kinetics mm, yeah. how fast these things get into your bloodstream the peak when the peak occurs how high it is how long it lasts in terms of elevating the blood levels so so all of those things kind of come into play and if you can use that analogy that i just kind of came up with on the fly actually of the cars and the velcro and the yeah it was a weird one by speed. the way it, was a, it, it conjured yeah. up a weird visual but yes it made oh, yeah. sense at the same time <laughs> hopefully you remember it yeah yeah you got yeah, the fuzzy animals on the side of your Velcro car, or your motorcycle, or Pinto, or box trucks. But yeah. so that's what all the modifications do. And um, I was like, I couldn't remember what was going on exactly with Ment and methyl trienolone. Okay. Um, because that was used in research. So let's go now to I think the next one. Let's see what I sent you. What order I sent you in? The next yeah, one. Yeah, we should do the next one. Yeah. Testosterone next one's, next one's good. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Hold on. Get back to There we go. Yeah, so there's like there's Winstraw. I talked about remember that pyrrol group? Yeah. Off to the left I mentioned that's the pyrrol group that gets added. That's kind of a kind of cool thing. Like just throw that motherfucker on there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know, Winstraw has unique properties. But there's our friend t test on the left, and then if you you can see the um, on testosterone sort of the left in the middle, I've got my showing with my mouse, but you obviously can't see that. Um, you see that methyl group, that kind of thicker dark line that points straight up. I do. That's is the that, methyl group. Is that three methyl groups then on uh, the testosterone? Uh, there's two, and then the other has a hydrox. Well, it's a it's a it's hydroxylated methyl group there. That OH is that the one that's different? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a hydroxyl group. It's called. Okay. Um, but you got that does mean you've got a carbon off of there, and then an OH on top of it. Oh, okay. So yeah, but two pure methyl groups there. So you, if you if you have no 19 methyl group, you have a noratestosterone. You get nandrolone. Okay. Yeah. And then you take. And that's so that's a, a nor and sort of you, if you want to talk about family sometimes people do this and you say trenbolone and nandolone are bi both 19 nors you can see they're both missing that methyl group yeah in the 19 
but you've got a couple other modifications in Trenbolo in there. I see that. Yeah. Two, two to be specific, it looks like. Yep. Yeah. So they, there's some double bonds in there. Oh, that's um, what that is. At like the nine, I think, and the 11 carbons. Okay. Is where they are typically noted. Huh. There's different there are different naming systems that you can use, and that's where it gets kind of confusing. Okay. Um, and one of the naming systems calls trenbolone a trienolone, basically, with numbers in there to designate where the triene groups are. So that's that that, that double bond between carbons is going to be an ene group. The, the name of that has an ene at the end. So the ene comes in there, or trienolone. And so uh, if we compare, we can just look at these. Basically, ment is methyl, 17-alpha-methylanandrolone. And methyl trienolone, the one I was con- confused about, is 17 alpha methyl trenbolone. Yeah. Or methyl trienolone. Okay. For short. So that's just like you can, and you, you can kind of figure that out if, like, if you look at the molecules, Google, go to Google Images, you see this. You don't have to have you know, a degree in organic chemistry. You can see You're the really just looking at modifications in what, yeah, you can see the differences. Yeah. And um, as it turns out, uh, you me- ment does seem to aromatize a little bit. Okay, yeah. Where, whereas nandrolone does not. It's not supposed to, but both of those can bind the progesterone receptor, so you can have interactions there with progestogenic effects impacting estrogen receptor uh, populations, for instance. So you can get estrogenic sides from a progestin like nandrolone or trenbolone. Hmm. Um, Methyl trienolone, for instance, so the methylated trend is super strong. It's like a standard that's used. And hmm. sometimes when they're doing like binding affinity studies, they'll say, okay, well, methyl trenolone is, it's, it's neither 5-alpha reduced nor is it aromatizable. So we don't got to worry about it, like it, some of the amount of it being lost elsewhere. Hmm. Whereas you, you throw in testosterone there and like some's going to be aromatized in an intact animal. And some of it's going to be um, five alpha reduced. Okay, so the yeah. Testosterone gets metabolized in different directions, so it, you don't end up. Um, what you see in terms of binding is a function of the enzyme activities hmm. that are that are in whatever you're studying. So if you have um, that's this is the interesting thing. Like if you just look at binding to a singular cell. Um, depending on what you've done, what kind of medium it's in, or sometimes they use tissue studies where you've got tissues that are living because they're in medium with oxygen and glucose and they've, they've got fuel and they've got oxygen so they can live. You've got a, you've got five alpha reductase activity, for instance, in different tissues. Yeah. So what you see in the tissue, um, will, might, it might be different what you see in a, in a singular binding study that's done with an isolated receptor, um, and no metabolizing, no metabolizing of, the hmm. testosterone or whatever the steroid is. So that's why you got to look and see, you got to kind of figure out what model did they use and what comes out on paper in terms of like binding affinity yeah. doesn't always match with what happens. And the example that we just gave, the, which is the clear one, because that's a kind of a nebulous statement is with nandrolone. Mm-hmm. Nandrolone is really androgenic in terms of binding to the androgen receptor, what it does. But yeah. it normally gets metabolized substantially to dihydronandrolone. And this is why, like when Jordan did this, Peters, um, 
and he's made that public, and I've heard of many people now kind of doing this, is they'll take like like two grams of androlone, you know, yeah. massive dose of androlone, and it's very androgenic. And so they don't have, um, they have, they don't get like sexual side effects, the decadeth and that sort of thing. They actually have elevated uh, sex drive mm. from that um, because they've got so much androlone that the 5-alpha reductase isn't able to convert that as it normally would to dihydronandrolone. Hmm. So you've actually got, you're taking advantage of the nandrolone, nandrolone's androgenic activity, which increases sex drive, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So. That makes sense, man. It, you know what, too, it yeah. gets me thinking because, you know, we, we know, we've, we've seen, we've talked about on all the podcasts that, you know, everybody's say, everybody's TRT dose is going to be unique, that everybody has a unique response to testosterone. And I, I think of a guy that I know who has been prescribed 300 milligrams a week, and that keeps him in the normal range. Mm -hmm. And I also know that he aromatizes like mad. And, right. and I mean, right. there, there could be, yeah. a, there could be a link right there, you of know, course. That, of course. that he's yeah. aromatizing more than somebody else would. Uh, it, and, and you know what, too, it really, it, this is kind of like a little bit off topic, but it really reminds me, too, that there, there's a whole movement of people who are saying, like, there's never a need to use an AI while on TRT, that you never need it. And mm. it's a black and white statement. And it really mm -hmm. makes me think more about, like, how individual, because that's been my thought is like, well, hold on, guys, this is such an individual thing. I, I don't ever want to use a statement like never. Uh, but it makes me think of how, you know, it, it could be very beneficial for some people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're using TRT and it's not like you can just kind of plop testosterone in there and then everything else stays the same. Yeah. Yeah. To get your testosterone where you would like it to be, you know, within range, you know, would be a target. And if you're someone, may, I mean, the reason why he may need TRT is because he aromatizes so readily. Huh, yeah. Makes makes total sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because his, his, his testosterone levels are getting, you know, sucked down through the aromatase system. He's, he doesn't have testosterone because he's aromatizing so rapidly. Yeah. So, like for him, he would be a, a great example of someone who taking an AI would might be, you know, not that I'm trying to give medical advice, but of course. taking an AI would be probably a really, could be a very effective way of doing TRT, so to speak, or or getting him back in the normal range because you're gonna he's gonna prevent that sort of loss of his testosterone pool to aromatization, as well as um, with less estrogen you're gonna have less of that feedback inhibition, you're gonna have more gonadotrophin coming down LH and FSH the LH is gonna stimulate more more testosterone so you're just remedying if that's the case for him that he's his his the root of his problem could be don't know this for sure but it could be too much aromatase activity yeah. So go to the root. Maybe that but in itself you, would be enough. He doesn't even need to take tests in that case, you know? That is that is the case, actually. They've demonstrated, like with AIs and CIRMs, that you can just block the estrogen. Yeah. Even for him, an AI would be better, assuming he doesn't, you know, drop his estrogen too low. AIs could also have just their own negative side effects, too. Of course. Essentially, um, on lipids and those sorts of things. But if he, could, if he could tease that dose out, that could be a better, you know, strategy for him. Since he's going to take an AI anyway, because his estrogen's so high, maybe he's using a CIRM, you know, yeah. and you know it's six of one, half dozen another. Until they've kind of figured out like what are all the polymorphisms in your genetic 
screening that are going to tell you whether you're at higher risk from an issue with a CIRM versus an AI. It's, you know, you're, you're pissing in the wind, I think, as far as I know, to try to figure out, you know, whether it's better over 10 years or 20 years or 30 years of, of uh, TRT to use an AI or a CIRM. Who knows? But yeah. yeah. Anyway, though, yeah. that was kind of like just a side thing. I Looking at all of this, and you, you just kind of got me thinking a little bit more about that bigger picture. Or mm-hmm. I should say about application, you know? Right. Right. So, um, yeah, so that we can um, – I think I may have misspoke here. If you want to go to the next, there's a next figure. It's kind of a cool one. All right. What do we got here? So that that shows this. So this is even more why I was confused. Actually, um, that shows in the bottom right there our two buddies, um, methyltrinolone, the one I was confused about, and then ment is the one in the top there. Seven alpha methyl nine to mine nine nor testosterone. Okay. So methyltrinolone is actually seventeen methyl trenbolone, whereas ment is seven alpha methyl 19 or testosterone mm. so the methyl groups are on one's on seven one's on 17 um so that's you know numerically perfect to make you confusing you can see if you look up there you can see the um the methyl group hanging and in that case they did they use they actually kind of drew it in with the ch3 on there that's okay. a methyl group yeah oh, they made it, okay. made it yeah, they made it known um so uh so that's just kind of the, that gets us to the very end. So that shows you testosterone to estradiol. Mm. You know, screen capture this or, you know, these are, these are all, I think I found these, I think I found these all in papers. I have the references um, if someone wants them, but they're all easy to find. Like literally this didn't take me too long to dig up. I had these, most of these already and stuff I'd already downloaded. I didn't have to find it. Except for the bottom one, I didn't have to find anything. I see. So I'm but, looking at the middle top. I see testosterone, mm-hmm. and then through aromatase going to the right, that's mm-hmm. estradiol. Yep. If you look down, five uh, alpha reductase, you go down to dihydrotestosterone. DHT. Yep. And then what's that below that? Then that three A H S D. Three. Oh, th- three alpha um, hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. Okay. Another another enzyme. Okay. Yeah. So th- this is there's like a pool of androgens, and typically, if you just look at like binding and you know what we kind of know in a cellular context, um, it's it's five alpha it's five alpha DHT that is in testosterone that are really the two main players here. Okay. But you have metabolism. And you have a pool of. Um, like for instance, if you look at the bottom on the left, the bottom four molecules there. Okay. You got a pool there where you know DHT can be converted to five alpha androstenediol. Yeah. Which can go to androsterone, which can go to five alpha androstenedione. So those are those are the five like those five alpha androstenedione and five alpha five androstenediol are the five alpha reduced versions of huh. the pro hormones androstenedione and androstenediol <laughs> yeah so i mean you can imagine someone like patrick arnold you know and who i think i can't say for sure but i think he was 
very much responsible for bringing some of these things to market. Like I believe Andrustine, so yeah, Andrustine Dion was used by the Germans like back in the 40s. They were giving that to their athletes. Okay. Um, and the the Western research that came out when you know Mark McGuire was getting in trouble for pro hormone use and that kind of stuff didn't really show that you could um, do what was hoped and just load more Andrustine Dion. Mm. And then get more testosterone from that. But I had, I had, a, and I don't know where the hell it was. But someone sent me a paper in German, which I could read, um, long time ago. And I think I'm, I'm able to find it. Um, maybe I could find it now that I have my computer switched into German. Maybe, maybe I can <laughs> dig it up somehow. Yeah. But um, it was demonstrating that they were having effects there. And, and women who use DHEA, which which is even further kind of upstream, um, can get. Uh, you know, effects that are steroid, they're steroid like because DHE is a steroid. Mm. So, or androstene dione as well. So, because women are more sensitive to androgens, of course. But there's kind of a pool and there's metabolism there, and it's a very, you know, complex system. But this is, there's some recycling, I think, that goes on of these molecules. Okay. You see those arrows go both directions? Yeah, yeah. I was wondering what that meant. Yeah, that means arrows go, go in both directions. So you can, um, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of DHT that's building up, you know, it could go either to 5-androstenedione or, fi or sorry, 5-alpha-androstenedione or 5-alpha-androstenediol. Mm. So um, I think it's just called androdiol as well. There's multiple names for all these things, so that's why it's so confusing. Okay. But, yeah, that's, so that's just a little, little insight into, um, into steroid biology. I'm not by far not an expert here what, yeah. whatsoever, but... Um, and that's just kind of tells you kind of what you're playing with, what you're doing when you're doing, using different hormones. And this is why, like what I do when I talk about, let me switch over, I can see it here again. When I talk about, um, uh, this in the context of that pharmacology course is like, okay, so this is what the bros kind of know, right? you know, do you want to double up on 19 nors, you know, both of which are going to have, are going to be progestin. So you want to use DECA and Nandolone at the same time. Probably not, yeah. Because because you're then if you've got different steroids that have different chemical configurations and thus different um, abilities to be aromatized or five alpha reduced and estrogen, as we talked about last time, can be anabolic too. Um, you've got basically uh, a number of different sort of anabolic targets to shoot at yeah. that the different molecules allow you to to target. So. You know, why, like, if you've got three targets there, you know, you've got 19 nors and you've got DH testosterone, dihydrotestosterone, or 5-alpha reduced molecules, and you maybe got orals too, use a 19 nor, you know, in small amounts using a 5-alpha using a, a reduced in smaller amounts, or something that, you know, is more androgenic. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, if someone's going to use an oral, which, you know, probably most people really don't need to do, although most people do, I think, um, then you've got, you know, something else there. You've got another, another tool. So the chemistry, you know, predicts to some degree what things do. And they figured all that out, like that very first figure. They figured that out just by, you know, making the changes and then doing things like looking at um, the Hirschberger's assay, which... Um, which gives you that androgenic to anabolic ratio that you mm. can find the lists of all over the place. Yeah, and that's that's just looking at the relative growth of of an androgenic of um, of the prostate versus a muscle that's um, located in the. Pr there's a couple different muscles that they use 
um, in the in the perineum area, like in the in the taint area of a rat. Okay. Um, yeah. Huh. So and the, so you got an anabolic effect from the muscle, and you got prostate being the androgenic, and the ratio there of the weight changes tells you a ratio, relatively speaking. Hmm. Um, but that's a function of the rat, and that's a function of the fact that rats, you know, are different than humans. But um, so that's where those things kind of come from. Is they made the change? Like, how does this? What happens if we change this and we inject some rats with this? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and then you can also look at binding affinities. Another another thing, just as a um, kind of an important thought, is also that people look oh the binding affinities. This is a real big thing. I make topic I, I mentioned in the in the talk is that just how just the binding affinity doesn't tell you how strong something is. Okay, it could bind and be and block. Oh, most of the orals like Winstrol and Anadrol and Dianabol, for instance, when they do the classical binding studies, they don't bind at all. Like Which basically significant. Yeah. yeah, but they still turn on the genes. So they do transactivation studies. They turn on the genes. It could be the, the different antigen receptor that's on the, on the membrane versus the classical one. Yeah. And that makes sense because you can feel you take an oral like Halo or something like that. Um, and people feel that right away in a, in a very different way than say taking a shot at test the the, the response you have or whatever is yeah very different different receptor system so huh. it's still turning things on but it's coming in through a different pathway so just because like if if we just went by the like the sartok has got the kind of best most oft quoted that's the first name on the on the on the paper and it's like well I guess there's no point in using anadrol or D ball yeah, or they don't like work. That. They don't work. They're not gonna. They don't bind, so they don't work. It's like, yeah, I think experience differs. You know. Yeah. Hey, uh, Danny, it brought up a question for him. He says uh, right. he, he refers to you as Stevenson. He says, "Hey, Stevenson, <laughs> is unmethylated dianabol basically equipoise, or how yeah. is it different?" Yeah. That, yep. Or other way around, you know, Danabol is methylated. Yeah. Um, boldenone. Huh. Equipoise. That's crazy that it's just one little change. And now I picture it as just that little stick being added on. Right. One little, one little stick <laughs> yeah. added on. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it all, it's all a... the 17 carbon. So mm. um, boldenone has uh, undecyc- undecyclinate, I think is how you say that. that yeah. That's the name of its ester, esterified fatty acid that gives its half-life. And then it's so it's it's beta esterified and alpha seventeen alpha alkylated to become the beta esterification gives you boldenone the seventeen alpha alkylation gives you um, D ball okay yeah methandienone or methandrostenolone two different names for the same thing just D ball is much easier yeah yeah exactly so, yeah so yeah that's that's the, that's the, I mean that's, that's that's kind of a cool little tidbit but. Yeah, so that methylation makes a, a huge difference as far as, you know, one, the half-life and everything else. But it's not like you're just taking rapid-acting um, boldenone right. when yeah. someone takes D-ball. Yeah. yeah, the effect is totally different. Yep, yep. So that's a good question. That's cool. Yeah. So I, hopefully that is, you know, that's helped me figure out the differences. Why I was confused about those two. I remember what the difference was chemically and which was which. Yeah. They're both pretty strong. But they're actually substantially different. Methyl trend versus methyl, um, and they're and they're methylated different places. But they're based on nandrolone, 
um, nortestosterone and trenbolone. Yeah. Which are substantially different. So really there's like four different chemical, th- yeah, three, three different chemical differences between those two. But they're somewhat, and one's aromatizable, one's not, you know. Yeah. Pretty, it's pretty wild. Actually. Hey, I had a, another question here, completely off topic from what we're talking about. This is uh, one of our guys from over at Patreon. He said, um, "Oh yeah, because we had we had taken questions from over at Patreon on the last episode, and after that, he missed that. But he said, I, I know I'm late, uh, but maybe it could uh, put we could use this in the next one. I'm interested in exercise uh, physiology." And would like to hear about how Dr. Scott's career path has looked. I think it sounds great for somebody who is into fitness and bodybuilding, uh, but I wouldn't want to teach or to do research much. Would rather work with people and do my own thing um, like Scott does, thinking this might be uh, this thinking this might not be the thing for me. I mean, you can, you know, work, you don't have to do a PhD to be a, a personal trainer or a coach. Um, you certainly don't. Um, I'm just really curious and I love, to, I love to teach. And it sounds like he doesn't want to do like, he would want to do podcasts like this. Okay. Yeah. There's an interest, there's an interesting thing. I think that, I think, cause I get this question a lot and I think kind of what the, um, uh, the crux of the issue is, is, some people they really they would like to like if, if they could wave a magic wand and all of a sudden just you know have a massive amount of accumulated like scientific knowledge and, and experience they would of course um, but you know just like kind of Ronnie said you know everyone everyone want to be a bodybuilder but no one want to lift no heavy ass weights yeah it's like everyone want to have PhD smarts but ain't nobody want to go to school <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that yeah and. I did want to go to school. I love school. I just had a chat with a, a guy, a great guy. Um, he may, He's probably listening right now. He's going to know who he is. We chatted for like three hours about getting into exercise science and kind of the best way to do it given his career path thus far. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he's already, he's, you know, he's not a, he's not a 20 something year old. He's been at it for a while and he's already got some pretty solid credentials. He's like, I don't, you know, he really doesn't need to like start off at like, you know, the beginner's level, so to speak. He's had a lot of the, the biology and medical related things already. But uh, my point was like, you know, when you're in school, that's it. Like that, you're learning and you're digging in the information. You're flow, you're, that's a blast. You're already doing what you want to do. Kind of the end goal is like, oh, I want to, you know, have my degree and be doing uh-huh. my career, you know, be settled into what it is that comes after you get credentialed. But if the idea of learning and diving into the new information is what you really dig, yeah. Which is the case for me that I'm just every I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly like like with the, the thing we just talked about for the last hour. That was you know I went after that after the podcast and looked into that, made some notes. Looked I had another chance a few days ago to look into it again, and then this morning I I, I finished off the stuff I wanted to you know talk about yeah. because I just you know it's not like you know I I put it in an order for you know ten grabs of mint you know and or methyl trianolone and I'm going to blast on that for the next year or something. I just was interested in, in learning that was just fascinating information for me. So as far as his question goes, um, you can be another, a great example of a guy who is just, you know, 
everyone knows him as incredibly intelligent is Lyle McDonald. Okay, yeah. And Lyle's got an undergraduate degree from University UCLA, I believe, and in exercise science, and you know, um, no graduate degrees. But he just loves the information. He's made himself smart by being smart, by being smart and being curious. Hmm. So you can do all of that. So it's sort of like the way to one way to one way to look at it. And this is why kind of asking me is like, what would you see yourself wanting to do? And can you put that question up again? Because I want to yeah, see absolutely. quite how he will help me with my with my thoughts here. Sounds great. So a master's degree, there's many master's degrees that are like health promotion is one, for instance, um, where you would go and do, you would take like the basic exercise physiology courses, but you're, you're learning how to work with people. A lot of those are corporate fitness based. They, they have some exercise psychology there. You're not going to have to do a thesis, you know, doing animal work like I did for a, a little while, way many, many moons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to have to do a PhD or dissertation. You're just getting a practitioner's master's degree, which gives you a great credential. Credential. Mm-hmm. It's going to definitely elevate you above your average personal trainer, like LA Fitness or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they know that you're not there because you because you're not interested in teaching. You're interested in being a practitioner, and um, you're not interested in doing research because it's not a research-based degree. So the MAs typically see like. This isn't always the case, but a master's of science mm-hmm. will typically be something, you know, where you're, you're going to do a thesis with the possibility of doing a PhD and going to research afterwards. And they'll also offer a, a, an MA. So I actually started in, at Texas doing an, an MA. Well, I think they're both MA. It was an MED, actually. That's the other option you'll see. End up getting the MA, which was there more scientific based. And there was this University of Texas at Austin is, is as much scientific science oriented as you can. It's a hardcore research institution. Basically, so that just don't put all their put too much weight on the on the title of the degree. Mm. But an MED for sure is a practitioner based degree. So you find a, a a program like that where you can get involved. The question, the thing for him is going to be the difficulty could be is that there's um, you're not going to find a lot that's as far as in the U.S. that's bodybuilding related. Mm. Um, uh, that. You actually, you probably could, you know, you got to find the right person and figure, he would have to figure out what he wants to do more so mm. than what I know from his, his question. He may know this more than, I, more than I'm thinking, but to find a, if you find, for instance, a program where someone is doing bodybuilding related research, those graduate students are probably going to be the ones that are going to do thesis project projects and that sort of thing. So he may want to be a, a personal trainer but he may not have interest in work and coach people that are bodybuilders, but he may not have any interest in working with your quote unquote soccer mom yeah. or a lifestyle clients. So um, he may, may be able to get into a program where he can satisfy some of that curiosity and exercise physiology where they have someone doing that stuff, mm-hmm. interact in the lab and then get the appropriate degree. Um, so that would be the kind of way to do it. Also, also, there's there's programs like Martin McDonald's program, not Lyle, but Martin. He's in the UK. Mac Nutrition. Hmm. If you just look that up, MAC Nutrition, I think it's macnutrition.com. He's got like a one-year program hmm. um, that covers basically, you know, physique, athlete, 
it's nutrition oriented, but I think they do some training things there. It's an excellent program from what I've heard. He's a phenomenal guy. The instructors are all solid. It would, wouldn't give you that's, – that's helpful for them. They have a different credentials. need to be a personal trainer in the U.K., but that's a great program. He would just – and it's hmm. all going to be right on point with what he wants to do. Okay. So he could do that, and it's easy to get the personal trainer certifications. Yeah. So part of, you know, part of like – if he wants to do what I'm doing, like, you know, sort of, sort of be the guy who takes the science and, you know, translates it for people so they can understand it. Um, then he's going to have to go and get a PhD probably, you know, to be able to do that. Not necessarily. It could be like Lyle, but that would be the best way to, to have that aptitude. So I'm not sure what part of what I do he's most interested in, but if he can find the best advice I give him is find someone who's doing as close to exactly what he wants to do and who's really good at it. Yeah. Figure out what they did. Just, just copycat their career path as much mm. as possible. And it, it could be just fucking training bunches of people like, Dozens yeah. and hundreds and thousands of people. Like yeah. Ken. Ken's yeah. a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you know? Skip, he has not had like a degree in, in, in mm-hmm. anything related to that. But, I mean, he is, he is what I would call a true expert at yep. the same time. You know what I mean? And I, I do Absolutely. think that there is something to be said for that. You know, like I don't know uh, after having coached now for about 13 years, uh, what I do now is very different than when I first started. And yeah. I, I would say that what I learned is not something that I've seen taught. No, I think um, um, John Jewett has a program. I heard I his course is it. good. I, I know yeah. somebody who's run John Jewett's course, and I heard a lot of good things about it. I heard that he has a lot of really good information in there, and it's it's packed with info and he's still building on it. So once you, I'd actually considered joining that, uh, just to continue educating myself. Yeah. Nothing you wrong know? with that. Yeah. I have too. I have too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Victor Black's got some pretty cool stuff. Okay. You know, he's got his own approach, which is really solid and really, um, uh, you know, conservative, but effective at the same time. Like it, it makes as much sense as just about anything. If you're going to, if you're going to become the kind of op, the optimal man, he has a term for sort of his strategy where he's, you know, trying to get as much synergy out of the least effective, least but still effective doses mm, of yeah, yeah. PEDs that are used. Um, and I forget the name right now. It's kind of blanking on it. But he's got a brilliant approach, you know, and he's he's crafted that, though. But he's he's been around like he's, you know, matched his master class. It's called that for a reason because he's been at this for decades. Yeah, you know, yeah. so you can't you can't supplant that to some to some um, really at, at all. There's no there's no substitute for experience. Yeah, but um, and the thing is, I think, and this isn't like you know, Rudy toot toot, but there are there are, will be people who um they want to try to come off as if they they know more than they, they may actually know. Oh, absolutely. You can still hear me. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. In fact, I think that there's double recording s- baby. Yeah. <laughs> my head won't, my, my power was going down. I see that all the time. And I see people who just started promoting themselves as coaches not too long ago. And mm-hmm. now, and then now a couple years later, they're, they're saying I've been coaching for the past decade. 
You oh know, shit! They, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I see stuff. Because like they started that in 2019, so like that's a decade. <laughs> 2020, I guess. Yeah, since I coached last decade, since you know? the last decade. How about that, <laughs> I had. I, I could say I've been coaching for a century now because I started in the 90s. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but the thing is, is that like there's someone. If you're a coach and you've been at this for a while and you've competed once, let's say you're, you're one of those coaches. You've done one show. You've been personal training for a while. You've got maybe a couple years' experience. You are you are totally equipped to help beginners. Absolutely, you're so far above them. And there's tons of beginners. Like that's if you look at the marketplace, that's your that's your you know the highest. That's your biggest number. Your biggest numbers are there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have so much so much dropout. So you know, start start there. Don't try to like you know try to get people to the Olympia stage or whatever. Right. You know, until maybe you've at it, been at it for a while. And you'll have some people who just, you're going to have, if you do that, you're going to have some people starting out like, I don't know how much they, they want to spend, you know, some exorbitant rate for a, a well-known big name trainer or coach. So they start with you and you're going to have some people that just have unknown, untold genetics, which is really, really good. And then it just builds on itself. You just, but you, but you, if you be honest, I think from the very get go and be good to people, it's yeah. going to serve, serve everyone. Hey, that's that's a lot in the way that I started when I started helping people yeah. and coaching them. Um, it, it's not because like I had been to the Olympia and I was getting ready, other guys ready for the Olympia. I had guys right. that were like, "Hey, I want to do a show like you did," and it was like, "Well, yeah. I've done a show, so I could I could help you do a show." You know what I mean? And, yeah. and obviously, my approach has changed over the years, but I was able to help people and you know do really good things who were you know newer to it than I was. You know. Yeah. So back to the, you know, the original question then, you know, kind of um, figure out how far you come and what you want to do and what you know, do you need a PhD to do what you're doing? No. Hmm. Do you want to know a bunch of stuff? Yeah. Well then enjoy the path. Just keep on learning and you'll, you know, eventually get there. I was telling, <laughs> telling a friend, it's like, it's just, you're in the same, kind of the same boat here, Scott, too. Like you're seeing this as better as you get the same questions. Like you just, Every two or three years, it's almost like, you know, just the wheel of time keeps on rolling around. It's like Groundhog you know, Day, <laughs> yeah. Groundhog Year. The same questions are being asked over and over and over again, recycled. So I've just seen them dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Ken had me, uh, brought me on as a moderator on a board before Intense Muscle uh-huh. that he was modding on way back when. And, um, you know, so that, that was in like 2001 or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, and the same the same questions were being asked like before, like at the beginning of the internet, and of course before that, before there was internet. But so like Ken and I have been around since the internet started. Yeah, and we've seen they're still asking the same questions. Yeah, over and over and over again. It's like wow, like it's almost it's almost like you know we got a DeLorean and like we're coming back from the future and like and we're betting on the horse races. You know, <laughs> I, I I know the answer to these questions not because like I just have this this knowledge pool that no one else does is because I've seen the question. Yeah. It's like taking an IQ test for the 15th time. And it's the same questions. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. God, you're first smart. Time you, you, wow, you're so smart. It's like, yeah, I mean, because I was able to answer the first 50 questions, like in no time flat. Cause I already knew the answers to them. I have a decent memory. Hey, and hey, I, that I says a lot though. How fast too. You know, yeah. that that's, that's, that is knowledge though. You know what I mean? It's it like, yeah. you know, you who'd spent the guy who spent 15 years, hearing those questions asked over and over again. And I, I'll tell you what, I bet that your answers have changed now 
than the answer you would have provided 15 years ago. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, now, you know, I don't think I'm probably going to forget too soon the difference between methyltrienolone and mint. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, like that, like that level of like that, that rabbit hole. Yeah. That was just, I do those, I do rabbit holes like that several times a week on yeah. things. And I've been doing that for, you know, 52 weeks a year for 30 years. It's a lot of reps. So I've got, that's a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of reps, man. Hey. So I have to go down some of them twice, but eventually like, you know, what's down the hole. So you can just like, what's in the hole. It's like, Hmm. Well, methylnandrolone and methyltrenbolone or whatever. It's like, whoa, shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know that I've been there. Hey, we got, we got a couple more that just popped up. If oh. you don't mind uh, cool. talking with some yeah, cool people here. One gentleman by oh, the nice. name of Casey Reed joins us. Oh shit. Lats. What's up, Lats. man? Lats. He says, ask Scott if my purple helmeted warrior of passion is getting smaller as I age or are my hands getting bigger from GH? I await his answer. <laughs> he needs to send some Scott McNally pictures. <laughs> you have his number, I believe. Oh, God. God. Yeah. Let me block Casey like really send, quick here. Send, send them now and then no GH this week. But bump your test up so then we can have a helmet warrior versus hands comparison with and without, you know. We'll, we'll modify some variables and then send him another one next weekend. Oh, God. Right? Okay. Casey's officially blocked on my iPhone here. Good, good. Uh, and then Matt asks us, he says, uh, totally off today's topics. Uh, I want to know scientifically why some pins go so well. No pain, smooth slide, no PIP, and others just suck. Even when all variables are exactly the same, pin size, compound, etc. I know exactly what he's talking about, man. You ever put a, your TRT injection, all <laughs> legally dosed by the law of uh, Test, right. Deca, and Masteron, uh, <laughs> and he, you, you jab that guy in, and oh my God, instantly you're like, was that a lawn dart? Right. Well, the one thing that's obviously not the same every single time is let me get you back here on. Oh, I can see you. Uh, is location. It's not exactly the same. Mm. So you wouldn't want it to be either. Not every time. No, not necessarily. Exactly. Well, if it, let's say it is the same time, and let's say you're doing, so you're just doing weekly. So you've got maybe some residual, residual there. You've got a depot that still isn't completely empty of the previous bolus. Yeah, that's and true. And I'm mean, just going to like hypothetical situation. So let's say like this is this is the deep, everything goes into this sort of depot, this hole, and you, when it's there's nothing there, and then you fill it up to here, no problem. Okay, but if you if you if you fill it up a little bit more, then you start having some nerve irritation and pain. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you do the one shot and nothing, and then you go into the same spot again. And then you you bypass the threshold for irritation where nerves are being compressed. Yeah. Um, and it also could be because like one of the reasons why glutes can be a good, if we're talking about glutes and why it varies in terms of how much pain people, post-injection pain people get PIP, is the nerve density in the muscles. Hmm. So um, how close you are to a nerve on a given injection could can make a difference. And whether you actually go through a nerve <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you may like just nick the nerve, like you literally you hit the nerve yeah. and you, sometimes, you know, you can feel that you get a, you get a jump if it's a motor nerve, like a, a reflexive jump. 
and you and you can feel the pain then too sometimes if you're on a sensory nerve. Yeah. So you're hitting different spots every single time. Um, what can also people hit veins too? Like you know that's that's why the idea is you know you should you should withdraw the um, the syringe a little bit, aspirate quote unquote mm-hmm. um, before you inject to make sure you're not injecting into a vein. But it it could be that you've gone through a vein and you don't know it or and it may not be a very big one, or you're in the part of the muscle that's got more capillaries or what have you. Mm. And in one case, you've got more of that bolus that's carried away by a greater blood flow because you you literally have opened up a vein mm-hmm. you know, that's going to draw that away. And that, of course, in itself is going to cause inflammation. Sure. Because you've, dis- you've got you know, your, your, your immune system will say, what the hell's going on here? You've got a hematoma basically yeah. going on, even though you wouldn't be able to see it, a very small one. So... You could have less of the irritant in there, whatever's in your injection that's irritating, um, the solvent, more than likely, and because it's being carried away or more because it's not. Could be that you've got scar tissue building up someplace, and now you hit some fresh tissue, mm. um, but the tissue can't really open up because on one side of it is a bunch of scar tissue, so that other tissue gets deformed twice as much, yeah. more deformation, more pain. So it's proximity to, I'm just coming up with thoughts, just thinking about muscle architecture here. Sure. What's going on with injections is the amount of tissue deformation is going to be a function of the scar tissue that's around it. How much is left, depending on how close you might be to a vessel or how fast it's carried away. That's going to vary. Like not every shot has the exact same pharmacokinetics. Whether you hit a, hit a uh, um, nerve or nick a nerve. Um, and, uh, yeah, that that's you know, if, if you have everything else the same, depth can make a difference in all those sorts of things, mm. you know, too. So you may not be quite as deep as you thought you were. I think I think that happens sometimes to people. Like if they they're like like you know if they're doing a self like gluten sh- glute shot, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not the most flexible guy, you know, they're, you know, they're not like Stretch Armstrong, and they think they've got the needle all the way in, and they you know over the course of time they've just come out like you know a centimeter. Yeah. Well, I mean that's you know a third of the length of the needle. True, you know, true. Something like that. So you don't have the same depth, and that changes everything. That moves it all around in a different spot. So, yeah. and in soreness afterward, uh, your your technique, you are a human being. So I'll just, I think everything you said are probably more likely the case. But you are a human being, so maybe you moved around a little bit more. And if you move around with a one inch piece of metal jabbing through the muscle, yeah. the more you move that, the more pain you're going to have afterward, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, I would not suggest anyone do this, but I'll never forget when, do, when we're doing muscle biopsies. And muscle biopsies, do I have a, I think i got a chopstick here. Um, <laughs> You've always got a chopstick around. I've always got a chopstick, yeah. So, I mean, the muscle biopsy needle is actually, it's actually bigger than a chopstick. You're freaking but, kidding me. No, no. Good no, Lord. No, yeah. But, well, here's the interesting thing. You, you numb the area. Um, first, but it's just the surface, the skin. And so you can make a small incision in the skin, a small incision in the fascia. And then, but you don't have to really cut through the muscle because you can, this can just kind of fits down into the tissue. Uh huh. It's like, yeah. it's like beef, beef tartare. It's very, very soft. Oh, good God. And when you put that in, you can kind of feel the pressure of it there. Yeah. It's a very odd thing, but it doesn't hurt. Some people, when they, when the, when the biopsy itself gets taken, and the tissue is actually cut, 
they'll feel it a little bit. But I think a lot of it's just like kind of expectation, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like me right now. I feel like that yeah, would hurt sorry. really bad. Sorry, I don't want I'd to gross be, anybody out. But, I'd be like, oh, but, my God. I'm just picturing it, man. That's rough. This is this is why, like, on both of my quads, amongst all the other muscle tears that I have, but both of my quads, like, the sweep is shot because of practicing muscle biases on myself and Ugh. putting it. And part, like, one day we're like, holy shit, you can, like, literally move this. You can, you know, like, you know swirl it around in there it doesn't hurt no it didn't hurt at all mm. and the exercise psychologist there his name is dane cook if they never listens hey dane i hope you're good brother great guy same as same name as the comedian now but his his uh, um focus and i think it still is he's an expert in pain during exercise yeah and maybe he has a <laughs> no problem matt um is he was like, he wasn't quite sure why that wouldn't hurt. Because, you know, you talk about all these pain receptors, you know, these, yeah. these nociceptors that should be, you know, substance P and like, you know, the whole uh, biophysiology of, of pain. And how could they not hurt when you're in there just obviously not doing that tissue any good? Right. Swirling the biopsy needle around, but it wouldn't hurt. Like, did it a couple times. Like, it doesn't hurt. You can go, you know, back and forth and it just it doesn't right. it hurt. Yeah, so anyway, sorry. We'll stop with that. <laughs> you can tell I would not be good at getting a, a quad oh, biopsy. A lot of people would faint, yeah. We had would they? To like, yeah, like like uh, Dudley, um, you know, he was doing them, um, you know, during the research officially. And he's, of course, who I learned this from mm-hmm. um, or, and did it with. Uh, but he would always ask. First, we always had the subject as often as possible. Sometimes people were on exercise bikes. One study we did, um, we had people in a heat chamber. Literally, they got the biopsy taken on the bike. So we had them stop train, stop moving, take a biopsy, and then get them back going again. But mostly, it would be like lying down, like just resting yeah. because people would pass out. If you had someone sitting up or whatever, you didn't, they didn't have to be lying down. But he'd always check the room. Like he's like, it's like, you good with blood? <laughs> you ever faint before? <laughs> just let's just say that, you know? Yeah. Because you got to ask. Because they're because people will people just like they think they're good and they see it and they're like ah boom and then then you got someone with a cracked head who paint painted <laughs> yeah. you know and the person who's got the biopsy going on isn't bothered by it at all they're good with it yeah they're done yeah yeah, Whew. yeah I had right. I had a couple people when I was doing e stem I did e stem on hundreds of people and I had only two people who ever had a problem with it well actually three I take it back Dane did yeah I just mentioned. Because he had totally spent so much time thinking about pain yeah. and muscle pain that he totally like like freaked himself out, huh. and he just was like he just like I can't do this, man. This is free. and he was a tough motherfucker. He was a college wrestler, yeah, and he lifted. He was a big, thick dude, and like, but he just like it freaked him out, it wigged huh. him, you know. Huh. And there was another guy who was a power lifter, three hundred plus pound guy. who was like you know, elite level total. He came in and watching his muscle contract by itself like that. You're kidding me. Just freaked him out. Yeah. And he, he couldn't do it. He started to pass out. I'll be damned. And then, and then there was a, once there was a student who came in and, um, you know, we talked, she's seen it happen. She wasn't the first person to get zapped that day. Yeah. Set her down and talked to her. And I said, um, she had a good friend with her there who knew about this luckily. And I said, um, I, you know, I asked her, kind of screened her beforehand and she's like, she's like, you know, I never thought about it. And she turns to her friend, remember that one thing? And he's like, Oh shit! And he went and he and he grabbed her, and then I kind of got her secondarily, 
she had like this tendency to go vasovagal. And when she'd get nervous, yeah, just anything, she'd pass out. Holy she would shit. go to give like talks before Like a, like a fainting goat. Those fainting yeah. goats. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She just, she collapsed numerous times in her life during stressful situations. She Holy was just, shit. That's such a yeah. weird response to have, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, fight, flight or freeze. And she would just kind of freeze. Yeah. Okay. Unconscious. So she, I, we started zapping her and like just testing out the stem and she just went woozy. Huh. We fell asleep for like 30 seconds. Well, listen, I was a little uh, scared. While we're here, I did want to tell everybody, guys, if you want to learn more from Scott Stevenson, you can grab his book. It's Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. Uh, you can basically take yourself through your off-season, through your contest prep, through your peak, and beyond. I love, Scott, that you you start out talking about goal setting with that. And oh, you could huge. plan out your entire freaking year. It's not just like, hey, how do you get... What's what's head down tilt? It's it's all the way from the start, you know, which yeah. I, I think is pretty cool, man. I think that uh, anybody at any level can learn from that. In fact, I think listening to or reading uh, the book, it's helped me with with that goal setting aspect that I hadn't necessarily thought about the value of that uh, to the level that I that I do now. So I I, th- I think it's important, and I think it's important to be able to set realistic goals you know what i mean that that are reachable uh so there's a lot of really good stuff in there but i did while we were here i wanted to mention that that guys you can get that at be your own byobbcoach.com as well as you can get the hardcover from amazon and if you do get the hardcover scott will inscribe each book to you no he doesn't inscribe (laughs) (laughs) i'll write my name in blood yes Yes, and you'll get a muscle by each book comes with a quad muscle biopsy directly from Scott Stevenson. How about that? How about that? Home biopsy kit. Yeah, you could like Amazon. You buy the book, and it says it'll give you like buy both and save. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Home biopsy kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a sharp knife and a hammer. It's just like but they want your, your biopsy. Clock. You get a you get a Scott Stevenson original <laughs> biopsy with each purchase of the book. That's that's what yeah. that's what you're getting. You know, I told you when we we analyzed my biopsy and we looked with, for fiber type, and I had one loan out of like four. It was a big sample, like four hundred fibers. There was yeah. one two X fiber. Oh, what's sorry, that? one one um, yeah one two X fiber. What's that mean? So normally, like normally, when you train, the two X's become two A's, oh. or we may have even called it a two B at the time, but um, it may have been we may have probably called it a two B at the time. But normally, if they get trained enough, then they don't then you don't see that myosin anymore, so that they don't get classified as that. Yeah. So it's like this one lone fiber that <laughs> that I hadn't like hit hard enough. So it was the one one holdout, and now it's gone. Yeah. Now it's and not the, even in your body. And now it's gone. Well, I don't know. There's that means there's probably others though. That's that's the thing. So decades of shame. If you want to know what drives me in the gym? It's the shame from that one fiber on that biopsy. So if you're looking for the dangling carrot, you know, buy the Scott Stevenson home biopsy kit. Yeah. We'll run the histo on it yeah. and see if you have shameful muscle that needs to be obliterated for decades on end yeah. before you can live happily and and sleep well. And if you do, no Scott is scoffing at you. Deep down <laughs> yeah, inside. 
And those fibers are scoffing at you. It's like, you can't activate me enough to make me change. I'm going to resist you. Make me grow. I dare you. Yeah. You can't do it. You're too weak and I love worthless that. I love and wimpy. That. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Jason on, on Facebook, uh, he's yes. a, a fortitude guy. Um, yep. I went out me and message. took pictures of his family for him for Christmas yesterday. We made some really nice oh. portraits. Uh, but he told me, oh, so cool. he went to push-pull legs for a little while. He just got his uh, his pro card in a natural division this past year. Oh. Uh, and he went to push-pull legs for a little while. And he said, you know what? I, I, it's not for me. He said, I just went back to fortitude. Yeah, he sent me a message. He said he's been doing ma- mainly fortitude now for like four years. Yeah, yeah. It's like, pretty cool. So he had, yeah. And it's been his best. I guess it's been his, he said it's been his best. It was just like one of those like – Okay, like this is just too good to be true, but it was a really nice message. Um, yeah, no, it's true injuries. though, man. I've I've trained with him, and uh, he pushes hard, and it just mm-hmm. it's fit him perfectly. Like he's not BSing, he's not like sugarcoating that just to no. make it sound good. You know what I mean? He he really yeah. is running fortitude. It, it's the injury thing I think that helps, I and mean, not that I'm injury free. Yeah, um, I'm not, but. But part of what I why I put it together that way is because you know I'm like shit. I want to do this as long as I can. Yeah. You know, and uh, and not you know be a, just a you know just be a mess you know by the time I'm fifty and still going strong. Just changed this morning. It was good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So still kicking along. All right. Well, let's Old get out of here. Crank. This is some good stuff, man. Some uh, some. I guess we could call it like uh, bodybuilding chemistry, bodybuilding steroid chemistry is kind of what we're looking at today. Bodybuilding nerds. This is it. Yes. It's about as nerdy as it gets. Ah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. I think you're right yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, listen, talk. we appreciate you guys hanging with us. Uh, of course, check out our great sponsors, True Nutrition. They've been with us for years. Uh, and, uh, of course, if you guys are in Canada, check out our uh, our Canadian sponsor, supplementsource.ca. And thank you once again, as I mentioned earlier, to all the people who are now supporting us on Patreon. You guys are directly helping me to pay for the software and all the bullshit that goes along with making a podcast. So I appreciate you guys very much. And, Scott... <laughs> I always appreciate hearing what you have to say next because this Thanks, has bro. been part of my um, non-school education. Uh, I pick things up every week that we talk that kind of get stored you know. away and then forgotten yeah. and then right? 50% of the time remembered and when I need them. So thank yeah. you. That's repetition is the key to learning, man. So I'll just keep on yapping as long as people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys. Adios. Thank <laughs> you.